Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Hey, welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host, Brian, and as always, find us and follow us on social media. Just search for Concerts That Made Us podcast. And rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. Now, before I tell you about our guest this week, I just want to give a big shout out to Booking Agent Fuzz for securing us this interview. Now, my guest is JDK from the Irish rock band agency Panic. And before we get talking to JD... We're going to take a listen to his song, PTSD. So now, without further ado, let's get on with the show.
Hey, JD, you're very welcome to concerts that made us this evening. No bother, man. How's it going? It's lovely to be here. Thanks for the invite, actually. No problem, no problem. Or a shout, out, shout out to our brother Robert, I suppose, on the, on the Monster Foes, himself and Emo. Exactly. I'm telling you, I've been thinking I'm going to have to start paying Rob if he keeps uh, sending <laughs> great musicians towards me. Uh, the, the Monster Foes donation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's doing great stuff, though, with his podcast. I absolutely love it. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff now. And if you haven't heard of folks, get on to it. Yeah, exactly. Well, if they've... Uh, if they're listening to this podcast, they've definitely heard me go on and on about how much I love it. I'm sure it's mental stuff. Mental. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, your band, Agency Panic, we just heard your song PTSD. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Um, PTSD. The PTSD basically was, a, let's just say, the end of the combination of uh, the lockdown of, of the country and sure, the world, I suppose. Um, and everything that was going on, social media, and you could see society was starting to go left, right, and centre. You know, there was political polarisation everywhere, and sure, you know, yourself, you could see the cancellation culture kicking in. And so it was pretty much just a, a PTSD. I was thinking to myself, when this finishes, is, will society be left with PTSD after this? Well, that's kind of the. It's a very good question, actually. Where the the premise of it came from? I always think to myself, actually, would we even reach the stage where we will have PTSD, or will we just keep free falling? Society will just keep getting worse and worse. Well, that's like the it's like the seven stages of empire. It's the wars. You ever you ever hear those? No, no. It's like the seven. It's like the Roman Empire type type talks. Like like the pioneers. Then you had the conquest, then stage three, I think it's commerce. Um, affluence, I think, stage floor, four. Um, intellect, I think, is is five. And then decline and decadence. So what stage would you think we're in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, folks, we're going to cheer you up. This is not the way this podcast should be starting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, if we start down low, at least we can only go up. We can only go up. We can only go up there, right now. And uh, are you the main lyricist then for the band, or? Yeah, well, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do most. Well, anyone can chip in. There's no, you know, but I pretty much do most of the lyrical writing. Yeah. So you're obviously the uh, you're on vocals. Who else is is in the band? And we've Tobes on guitars. Um, lead and is on bass, and then Harvey then plays the drums. Ah. For some reason, I thought uh, a guy called Tubbs should be on the drums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a good one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, tell me a bit about the band and how did you uh, how did you come together? Did you know each other long? How did you all decide to form? I've known Lee since I was about 15 and know Tubbs since he was a whippersnapper Harvey I've known Harvey's on the music scene the last 30-35 years in Wexford um, and we've all pretty much been in and out of different projects and bands I'd say over that span of time mm. with each other playing live playing in original stuff playing in cover bands playing in stuff like that so I pretty much played with Lee almost all my life um, 
having uncovered since he was about 14. He was only a little chiseler. But uh, yeah, so we pretty much, we've known each other all our lives. We've been in and out of stuff. Agency Panic is just a, a project where we decided to, when you see 50 tracks building up on a computer and you set yourself right, it's time to start down. So, you know, we're found in 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a, an odd situation. Now. And that would be a, an archaeological artifact. No, that's, um, that's facts. That's pretty much where we were. So it was just, let's start getting in the studio, let's get tracks done, let's get concept and ideas out there. And let's start actually, was pretty much shit or get off the pot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was a, a natural progression towards the style of music that you played? Did, did you all automatically just agree that's what you would sound like? Or was it a natural sort of thing once you got into the studio? Well, it's a weird one because there's no kind of, we we are what we is. Is kind of the model, like um, it's all primarily rock or primarily alternative music that we do all be into, um, be it even Tubbert is into dance music and stuff as well. So there's a wide range of let's say, influences, from like the helmet to tool to, you know what I mean, Kbush to fucking I don't know, Primus. You know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. Nine Inch Nails. You could try in a lot. So. There is no constraints on what we, we try to sound like, if you know what I mean. I've heard people come back saying the sound is so, so on. So you get that all the time anyway. But yeah. You are what you eat, I suppose. Yeah. It's, uh... We just eat a lot, so God knows what we could come out with next. <laughs> That's what to say about music, though. It is subjective. Each, uh, each listener will hear something different. Yeah. That's it. You know? So, And everybody's always, you've always got your comparisons as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You'll always be compared to someone. Hopefully it'll be someone you actually like. Yeah, and that's it. That's your lucid. You know what they all saying? You can't be all things to everybody, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, I was looking at uh, some of your music videos, actually. And Jesus, if there was awards for music videos, you guys actually deserve it because some work must have went into making the music video for... Uh, is this Panic? Mm-hmm. The, the debut single there. Yeah. It's like a, a mini movie in itself. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Mr. Seals. Mr. Paul Seals. He's a genius. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was quite an experience, all right, trying to put that together. You know yourself, man, we're on a, we're on a budget of zero, so trying to do it on a, on a low budget was a, was a challenge in itself. But uh, it was a fair accomplishment for him, in fairness. Yeah, you wouldn't think it. It's, to be honest with you, you'd feel like you were watching MTV or, you know, the old rock music channels and it was actually a a proper music video on one of them channels by, you know, the likes of Nine Inch Nails or something like that. It's just the quality of it. appreciate it. Thanks, man. Nice one. I'll, I'll pass on the message. He'll be delighted. <laughs> good, good. But... uh I've heard there's um there's a few Easter eggs in that video. If the listeners would like to go and have a look at it, see if they can spot some. Yes. Would you like to share one or two? Um well I'll give you one then, right? Um there's a there's a guy called Donald Ewan Cameron. Never heard of him, no? No, no. He was basically in the Tavistock, involved with the Tavistock Institute of Human Resources. 
which was uh, was created basically after I think it was World War One in Oxford and um, by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, um, funded of course by one of the only David Rockefeller or the Rockefeller Foundation, and he basically he was conducting tests out of um, Allen Memorial Institute, I think it was, which uh, is funny actually. Um, <laughs> I was supposed to be haunted as well, going back to your Copper Kelly interview there. <laughs> <laughs> when you sort of laughed us all, that was fucking, that was deadly, no, I have to say. Oh, thanks a million, I appreciate it. Um, when he was uh, going on about, I don't know how he did that, I wouldn't be down there for five minutes, to be honest with you. <laughs> on his own as well, doors closing and all, come on now, Copper, what are you thinking, like? Was not serious money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez, I don't know. I don't think I'd be able to be there after dark inside anyway. I I love the yeah. idea of it, but I think I'd fucking shit myself now and run out the door. But uh, yeah, so this place is supposed to be haunted as well, for sure. Obviously, when you think of, I think it was between 57 and 64, he was conducting like uh, mind control um, on unconsenting pa- patients and my dad. Oh, uh, right. projects which were like sensory deprivation or LSD or electroshock therapy or stuff basically to control the human psyche. A bit like MK Ultra in that in that sense. Well, though. it was actually it was part of one of the MK Ultra. I just didn't want to say that. He was about hats and all that stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm a, I'm one of the worst for stuff like that. I could go on off on tangents for hours about. Conspiracy theories and MK Ultra stuff like that. All right, we're at home then, are we? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so that's basically who he was. I've seen like a couple of documentaries about uh, survivors, we'll say, of some of his sensory deprivation stuff. Like basically putting people in a in an induced coma hmm. for maybe up to two weeks, and then basically playing the same recording over and over again. For the three weeks and then taking them out. Oh, Jesus. No, so that's just one of the fun little games that we're playing. But anyway, he'd be one of these threads in there. There's other people. There's other people in there as well if you listen to all the and, and and little images and stuff if you can pick up on them. Sure. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? There was a name on that someone said it to me the other day, actually. And I'd never heard of it before. Oh, yeah, coded music. Coded music. Yeah, someone said it's good coded music. And I said, "Thanks, thanks for that." <laughs> <laughs> you must get a lot of positive feedback about it, though. Yeah, it's still man. Listen for what we are and what we're trying to do. Like, like we're only a small. We're literally just four guys who are just nine to five, pay mortgages, got kids. Just you know what I mean. We just happen to be able to play music, and we've been we've been, as you know yourself. Wexford is littered with talent. Like there is talent seeping out of this county. Oh yeah, in all forms, not just in music, like in art, in you know what I mean, painting, in you go through any of the arts, like there will even you know theatre here. Like so. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a cultural hub of Ireland. Yeah, and there is serious talent here, without a doubt. It's a it's a pity though it's not showcased more. You know. Yeah. As I, to be honest, if you think about it, like for, for the size of it and where it is, we are kind of punching by the bugger weight. Like they even gave us the National Theatre or the hall, like, you know what I mean? So I suppose actually, yeah. 
um, what is it? The second, sure, isn't the the opera festival the second biggest opera festival on on the planet? Like, is it? I didn't realize it was actually that big now. Yeah, yeah, it's a certain. You see, it's a certain genre that they do. That's that's very niche, uh-huh. and then a lot of the the opera heads like that. So, jeez, I remember actually years ago walking uh, walking by it. Jeez, I was probably only about nine or ten now, and I remember. Gabe Byrne and Jerry Ryan in tuxes going into it. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, you probably don't remember the Oyster Festival and all that, no? I know the name. I've heard of it. I wouldn't actually have any memories of it now. The muscles and the Oyster Festival, and then you had the uh, the Opera Festival all around the same time, and singing, singing pubs, and then you have oh, there's a lot. There's a good little hub like when it gets going. Like. Oh yeah, yeah, it really is. Hopefully it'll. Uh, be able to get back to normal now after all this crap is over. Man, stop. I wish it had just come on. Like. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a slow road, but hopefully we're near the end of it. We'll see what the story is now come October and November again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I digress. Sorry, bro. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were talking about the music video. Oh, yeah, the cookies. Yeah. So that's one of the, there's one for you, anyway. Donald, you and Cameron. Just check them out. Oh, perfect, perfect. Where was this, uh, where was the shot, actually? I take it. it was shot in around Wexford, was it? Yeah, yeah. We shot it down in, uh, in Bag Hogley. Ah. And then the rest of it, then all the film part of it, we shot all over, all over Wexford. I was thinking I could, uh, I could spot a few familiar places, all right. Mm-hmm. So, um, as you said, you, uh, you have numerous songs. You, when you can get together, you go into the into the studio, lay down some tracks. It must be hard to find the time to actually get together. As you said, you all have lives, mortgages. Is it is it tricky to uh, to set out a time frame where all four of you are available? Um, yeah, it can be a time share, but as you know yourself, with the last what is it now, fourteen months are we in? Since yeah. Country went into probably the longest lockdown in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been hard, especially then. We've got two tracks sitting there for the last year, we'll say, and we just can't get at them. So it's been frustrating, but um, at least at least we have a start on on two of them anyway. When we get back in, so. So we normally talk about uh, about gigs and concerts mm-hmm. hence the name concerts that made us now you guys haven't had a chance to play gigs yet have you no not at the minute no is there uh, any hope or any sign of being able to play gigs when uh, when the when the pandemic ends if we could get her if we could get a guitarist to come off the road yeah <laughs> <laughs> Robert is a sound engineer you see so he's in and out Mm. So yeah, hopefully look in the future we're we're looking to get playing. Obviously that's the that's the bread and butter, that's the juice of it. Like yeah. The way music is now, sure the only way you'll make money of it really is playing live. Um and sure we can talk about that later on if you want. <laughs> I'll give you a clue, Napster, for sure we'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> but um so yeah, look as as far as playing, it's it's funny because as far as playing with each other, we play with each other pretty much in numerous projects and bands over the last 
I'd say 30 odd years. Hmm. I've been playing with Lee. I've been playing music with Lee since we were like 15. Jeez. So, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we know each other inside out. It's, you know what I mean? So, but as far as agency panic goes, most definitely. We're bowling to get going. Like, it's just a matter of getting getting another few tracks out. Get another, get a set this under our belt and off we go. Like. Yeah, yeah. There's no funny nowadays, though, the way it's kind of, it's almost completely the opposite. Like, I'm sure when you were growing up, you know, same as when I was, bands, especially local bands, it was like a dream for them to record a song, you know, and release a song. And then, you know, they played gigs until they were able to record. But nowadays it's so easy to record, you know, you have people recording in their bedroom that it's the opposite. You know, people record and release songs so they can actually play places. It's kind of a... Play live, it's after completely switching. Like. Yeah, yeah. But that all came with the, you know what I mean? The greedy record companies. Like. Yeah. That's where that all began. And as I just said, yeah, about Napster. Like. Mm. You, go back, you go back to that time when, like, for instance, I remember when I was growing up, you know, you'd, you'd save up two bob and you go down and you buy the album. Like, you come <laughs> yeah. home, you'd stick it on, you'd have the in there card out, you'd read the lyrics, you'd know who produced it, you'd know who fucking recorded it, you know where it was recorded, you know what day it was recorded. It was almost like transmitting to a point with music. It was a whole experience. And then you had the package, you had the whole thing there. It felt like you were, I don't know, without sounding fucking, you know what I mean? Just, mm. you were more connected to the album, to the music, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, whereas then we got the likes of Napster and people started downloading internet then we had mp3 players yeah, you know what I mean next thing all of a sudden Spotify now we've, music is almost treated as you can almost say fast food <laughs> yeah actually that's a good analogy stick your stick your track on your on your playlist and it's, you know what I mean there's no concept idea there's no complete listening to a band there's no like maybe it's just me i'm old school but i'll go out and i still if i hear an album that i like i go and get it on cd Mm. just have it on cd and to to be able to listen to the whole album from start to finish and i've even gone that bad now where i've gone back and even started getting records because they sound better (laughs) yeah and i've gone completely now as you're saying we've switched back I'm completely switching back. <laughs> Even albums that I have that are on CD that I think are banging, like let's say Prodigy or Rage Against Machines first album or what else did they get there? And also like, oh, Ministries for uh, Sam 69 album. Just albums that you think are going to be absolutely banging hmm. on the vinyl. Like, and they are like, the difference is absolutely chalk and cheese. So kids, convert back the vinyl. Get off the internet. <laughs> Stop downloading. <laughs> You're right, though. You're completely right. I, I totally agree. You know, it's all about having the physical copy of the album or the song in your hands. You know, like if, if Spotify goes bust in the morning, all the songs you've saved to your phone are going to be gone. You know, you're more so just renting them songs when you're streaming them. You yeah, know? pretty much. Yeah. And Bandcamp is probably, I think, the best <sighs> streaming, selling kind of bands formed i think it's i think it's actually ran by bands i'm not quite sure who runs it but whatever way it's ran is ran slick it's got the best um playback quality of sound um and they're pretty much you can do your own business on it you can kind of what's the time treasure 
You ever, you ever listen to Adam Carino? No, no. Shame on you, no shame. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the pod father. Oh, right. And no agenda is 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 his uh, shtick. Um, his podcast, but um, yeah, he pretty much invented it. But um, yeah, he has a time treasure. What is it? Your time treasure and talent is his uh, model. Ah. monetary model. I'm going off on one here now, but I work away. But that's pretty much what Bandcamp is. You kind of give what you want. You know what I mean? If you want to give it, you can put a limit on it. You can say, right, give us a quid or whatever. And then you can, if you want to give five, you can. If you want to give 10, you can. Yeah. That's sort of the way. But um, that's probably the best. But as far as Spotify, unless you're Joe Rogan, it's like, I don't know, isn't it something like 100,000 streams or 10,000 streams? Maybe we'll we'll go with 10,000 just to be nice. 10,000 streams and a cup of coffee. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of, but, and as we were saying, it has belittled what music is to a point. Hmm. There's nothing special about it anymore, if you know what I mean. As you were saying, like, we, I played gigs when I was 14, 15, 16, trying to save up. We all in band, the band together, trying to save up to get, as you said, a day or two, maybe, if you were lucky, if you had enough money in the studio. Yeah, definitely. And... It's just, it's destroying music in my opinion, you know, because you're getting lots of people as well that are capable now of releasing tracks and they have no business releasing tracks, you know? Yeah. We go back to the subjective thing there, though, really, don't we? Yeah, true, actually. That's a good point. <laughs> so what's like courses for courses? I have absolutely no problem with everybody doing everything. But it's, as you said, it's it has, it has worked. It's like everything. It's like the atomic bomb, for instance, like it gave us fucking nuclear power, but you know, give us the capacity to fucking ruin ourselves in a second. But we've been given the internet, and now people like me, even say for talk's sake, we're able to do what we're able to do and get music out and get people listening and being on podcasts like this with yourself. And you know what I mean? Whereas it also gives everybody in the world the opportunity to do it, and then it kind of dilutes the water a little bit. There's so much music there, and there's so many good artists there, even. Um, you just get lost in the sea of music. So it's very hard to go from the crowd, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that was my next point. It's uh, It must be very hard to stand out and get noticed. Yeah, that's third you go. We've just been talking about <laughs> you're a drop in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. And that's the good, look at, don't get me wrong, that's also a good thing. Um, the more and merrier, like, sort of thing, but as we're just saying, it's like been in a you're in a, I don't know, a shawl of shale, if you know what I mean, like you're just getting lost. Yeah. Well, it's good for the consumer of music, but it's... Uh, it's. What is it either? Because like, as we've just discussed, you're kind of losing that little bit of magic like with with the artist or with the, with the band or with the music because of that. Like Because it's mm. been, as I said, it's like Mac Tone fucking getting a big Mac. Like. <laughs> <clears throat> true, true. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't know. It has its good points. It has its bad points. It's like everything, there is no meeting in the middle kind of, is there? It's, it's a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is. It's an odd one. But what it has done, right, is it destroyed fucking record companies didn't know what they just didn't see it coming. Mm. And how did they see it coming is beyond me. Um, when people started streaming the music then and stopped buying albums, serious fucking decline in profits but 
the bands now are having to break their neck. If you look at like the likes of ACDC, Cybertoxic, they were on that three-year tour there. The boys are in the night must be in the fucking 60s. Yeah. Right now, they're probably well said anyway, but the only way they were making money off new material is to get out and start gigging. Man. Hmm. You're not going to get it from record sales. You get out, you gig, and you sell your merch. And that's how they were making the money. Like. Yeah. Serious, yeah. Serious money at that on my, on my dad. Yeah. It's, um, this is kind of where you're at. Like, whereas, as you were saying beforehand, with record sales and all, bands had a little bit more, I don't know, maybe leeway, not relaxing time, if you know what I mean. Yes, they go out on the tour, but then they'd obviously have a, a bit of downtime after it. But it seems like sure, ACDC in what, three years nearly straight? Yeah. At their age as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned them actually. I had tickets to see them last year and it got it's after being rescheduled twice now. You were saying that actually, yeah. I remember hearing that and you were saying that at Copper, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. You just went into the oh you brought it up, didn't you? You had to bring it up. Huh? You just had to bring it up, of course, didn't you? <laughs> you do know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to think now. The Chinese, that Chinese, that Chinese democracy. I was sitting there and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> the only good thing about that is book ahead. Hey, you can blame Copper for that. He's the one that brought it up. I was, uh, I was trying to just glide past it. <laughs> I was, I was sitting there listening. And I was laughing. I was laughing. But um, yeah, the only thing good about that was his book ahead. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll always prefer the earlier stuff. So do you think they're going to go or what? Or do you think you're going to get to see him? Well, it's after being rescheduled. It was supposed to be, I think, this June has been rescheduled until fucking May 2022 now. So, and then you have the thing of with them, they could cancel themselves at the last minute as well. A half an yeah. hour before the show, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, that's the first, it's funny, right? When I get into it, sure, that's the first band I ever went to see was Slay 92. Really? Guns and Roses. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it was really for Fate No More. Yeah. To be honest, I was a massive Fate No More. Mad, mad, still am mad headlight. Hmm. And my Patton fella is just unnaturally good. It's just unreal. But um, yeah, um, they made us wait for about three and a half hours that day as well. Oh man, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, between <laughs> Fate No More and them, there was about a three and a half. They were supposed to go on, I think it was like six, and they didn't come on until like half nine or. 10 o'clock or something oh, for fuck's sake <laughs> the sun wasn't going down and the lights wouldn't be seen <laughs> waxo uh, he's a total diva though isn't he he's just uh, brilliant brilliant no he's sure you couldn't all you can do is laugh laugh mm. at the antics that time in um, and recalls the riot that time in 90 oh, what year was that I think it was 91 or 2 but he, I think he just walked off stage and they just yeah. wrecked the place. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I think that was just before the Use Your Illusion tour. Mm. Um, I can't remember what, I think it was 92, maybe 91, 92, somewhere around there. I would have said it was maybe 93, no? Could have been. When was, um, sure, let me see. Uh, you have me trying to use my old brand now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see I can only this is how you do it you link things together right? so Terminator 2 when was that released <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from there right so Terminator 2 what year was that 
Oh, I want to say 91. Well, there you go. And sure, you could be mine was the soundtrack for that. It was actually. Yeah. And it's funny because um, I was only looking through my old records down there the other day and uh, I pulled out a program from that gig. Oh. Uh, in pretty decent condition as well. So, yeah, I was quite chuffed about that. You're right, too. That's a, that'd be a treasured possession now. Yeah, that was a cracking gig, man. Fentamore were absolutely unnaturally good. Like it was when they had um Jim Martin and all playing guitar. Oh, oh fuck. And played Bobak was I think it was it was just before Angel Dust. And it was it was basically the real thing tour. And I love Opecker from Mars and played that like man. Absolutely, I couldn't believe it. Like, it was <laughs> class. Isn't that some feeling though when you go to see a band and they play your favorite song? You know, if you yeah. weren't expecting it or anything. Yeah, when you're thinking to yourself, even when you go in, you go, "Nah, they're not going to play that like it's too obscure." And then they yeah. play it, and it's just like, "Fucking <laughs> hell!" You Ooh. almost feel like standing there in the crowd and screaming out, "You played that for me, didn't you? You played that yeah, for me." Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> happened a few times. That was happening at a few gigs. Actually, really? I've been there going, yeah, or the obscure has just popped out and I'm going, yes, they did cure. <laughs> The last gig we were at was up in um, oh, Malahoy Castle. Is that it? Yeah. Um, the Cure. And first track, first song to play is Burn from the Crow. I could not believe it. Like oh. I was just sitting there going, you have to be shitting me. Especially that, though. That can't be something to play very often. That's a mad song because that wasn't, I don't even think that's on any of the, I love the Cure, like, like be big into me cure like and it's not I don't from what I can remember anyway it's not on any of the actual albums I think it was a b-side on one of the earlier singles like and somehow I think that was written in 85 or 6 or something it's written really long time before The Crow was released as a, as a film like. now look at this could be all speculation so <laughs> <laughs> just all, all rock folklore you know yourself but mm-hmm. as far as I can remember it uh, what, from what I, my knowledge is, I think it was around 85, 86, that song was, was written and it ended up on that soundtrack. And you think it was written for that, that film? Yeah. Lyrically, like even and everything, it, it's brilliant. But when they, when they played that, man, it was absolutely unreal. There's some bands. They are, they've got better with time. Mm. It's funny you should mention that exact gig, actually. I've had a guest on before who was at that gig as well. And are, are we concurring? I'm trying to remember whether he mentioned two Cure gigs. He said one was unreal, but he said he left early with the other one. He said that the sound quality was shit. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Right. But uh, the sound quality obviously wasn't uh, wasn't bad, in your opinion, for that one. So it must we have didn't been... I think so, anyway. No. Must have been the other one. It's like all of men for yeah. one or two, and then it's usually sorted out by then. Yeah, true, true. So. um. That covers your first and your last gig, and it's actually the first time I've never even had to ask the guest about them. <laughs> well, sure, man. Where do you want to go? I've not messing with you. Sure, we could go from I've seen like Nine Inch Nails, System of a Down, Tool, Slayer, Therapy, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Label Society, um, Helmet, <laughs> White Snake. White Snake, believe it or not, absolutely fucking blew the soccer. David Coverdale, unreal. Really? Ah, oh, just, I think he was, 
we were sitting sitting the wife were trying to work it out like um it was actually it was when he played with uh, it was White Snake Gary Moore was supposed to be playing. Um I was going up to see White Snake and she was going up to see Gary Moore. Um <laughs> and when we just as we were pulling into the car park, um they were stopping people and just saying, Look at Gary Moore is is not playing tonight, he's sick or whatever. Like so if you're wanting her to fund, you can refund or you can go into the gig and it's White Snake, blah blah blah, whatever. But mm. I think I had another band, I can't remember who the other band was on the forum. Um, but they kind of you know spread it out their set list a bit longer, yeah. But uh, but I think he was, I think he must have been no younger than 58. No word of a lie, man. You want to hear the pipes on this, just shockingly good. Like another one that's got better with age, so it's just it still has it, like just unbelievable. That was a great gig, actually. Um, yeah, seen Friday, Purge Jam, Pumpkins. Tori Amos, seen her a couple of times. She's fairly savage you now. Um, right, here's one for you. So, what's the worst gig or worst experience at a gig you've had? Yeah, um, experience worst. Uh, probably not the gig itself, right? But mm. more so everything that surrounded the gig. <laughs> right. Because it was, uh, I've seen Tula a couple of times, seen him in the Ozfest that time in Punchestown when Ozzy pulled out mm. and they start, they moved everyone up the bill so two got the head right? so that was fairly they were fucking absolutely unreal that night and then I seen him in the point then for I think it was the 10,000 day tour ah. and we couldn't get a taxi we were in a hotel it was a it was in a hotel it was about I don't know 11 or 12 of us or something we just couldn't get a taxi between us all because it was one of was sitting in and blah 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 so we ended up walking and it started pacing around and we got absolutely you now we were like drowned cats when we got there <laughs> and everything was soaking and you were going in, you know yourself now look at we dried off fairly quick with sweat so that was probably the worst if, it's, if you want to call it the worst experience really yeah yeah and um, they were a bit slow that night alright boys or I think we are on the Guinness the night before <laughs> they were a bit laid back they play 10,000 days as well which is like you know we're at a gig here come on that's <laughs> that's not David Gray we've come to see but... <laughs> no but you know what I'm saying it's, yeah. it's it was like up till then like we're at the stink fist and we're at the playing Neme and you know the place was banging like they had everyone eating out their hands and then they just completely wanted, decided to tone it all down Ah, the lights down and get out the lasers and a grand that's all well and good like but then they start playing 10,000 days which is about 10,000 hours long as well (laughs) no but you know what I mean and it kind of just kind of sucked the life out of the gig and they couldn't kind of get it back then when they came back ah Jesus you know what I'm saying can you understand kind of the the dynamic like it was it was a weird one but other than that that was probably the worst gig I was at (laughs) Reminds me of a Tommy Ternan joke, actually, where he's a he's a, a, an Irish session and the music is lifting and everyone feels like they're about to take off. And then some old one cracks out a fucking sad, depressing song and all they're depressed and fed up for the rest of the night. <laughs> so fucking true. <laughs> no, I've, got, I've got relatives that live in the heartland of Craggy Island, as we say. <laughs> Right, and it's so true what you just said there. Like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, it is though, and it happens at every every session. It'll always oh, happen. Oh yeah, you'll always get them. 
<laughs> sure, look, we even start. I think I think it's just the Irish personality. There's a bit of melancholy sewn into our fabric. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Three years of oppression. <laughs> what would you count as, or who would you count as the best gig you've ever been to? So, um, that'll be tough to narrow down, I'd say. Yeah, because there's there's a couple in there that you kind of you think to yourself, well, look, for pure musicianship, there's different reasons if you get me. Nine Inch Nails is probably the best for energy, for power, for just performance, just for the fucking gig itself, because I just, the man is like modern day Beethoven. Yeah. So pretty much for me, it would have been that one. That was up by the oxygen, the headline one of the stages up there. And that was absolutely, you know, I had to wait. I had to go through the ting things and I had to go through <laughs> I had to go through Katy Perry and I had to go through you know what I mean? It was a lot, there was a lot, there was a lot went into that. It was a lot went into that, brother, no lesson. Um Jane's How did addiction, you hold it together? Jane's addiction, they, they weren't too bad. Dave Navarro was pretty tasty that day, and I have to say. <laughs> um but yeah. And then they just came out and played Born kicking off, and that was it then. Fuck. Line the Sanker I was in. Like, one of my favourite songs so. like it was another one of those where you they played the, the song that you didn't expect you played it first as well so yeah Nice Nails um, Velvet Revolver was was a bit of a, a shocker really? yeah like look the first album was out we knew I knew what it was about fairly tasty she you know slashed it there and she had a bit of duff and she had what's his name from Stonehenge Pilots um, Scott Wayland um, so you knew we were, you know, it was like it was like Ron Seal. You knew what you were getting on the team, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we and Lieber, we and Lieber sit beside each other for that one. We weren't actually down on the floor. We were up in the fucking up in the heavens. And mm. man, it was the loudest gig I have ever. It was the loudest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> Came out and we couldn't fucking hear a sausage for about three hours. Like we were blown out. <laughs> but in a good way. Now don't get me wrong. Yeah, man, the vibration. I was in Senate, like at the time, like the vibrations that were coming through the fucking seats with the 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 pure pump was deadly now. So that would have been that was that was a shocker. Mm. Um, I seen the pumpkins on the Siamese stream tour. That was a good gig. Really, that all that was deadly. Yeah, and they had been in the studio and they had recorded the infamous melancholy, whatever it was, sadness. Was that mm. good? <laughs> yeah. That next album and uh, the played I think zero and a bullet with butterfly wings. Oh man! And I can't. They played three off that. That we obviously we hadn't heard them. Like it's not been out. Like it hadn't been released at the time. Um. Yeah, the bullet butterfly wings was just we were. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> savagery. Like I was just going to say to, uh, you know, to hear them before you knew of the songs or before like the album had been released must have been an experience in, in itself sure it was just it was because they played the three in a row mm. I think Zero was this I can't remember what the first one was um, and then they played Zero I remember Zero the riff in Zero and it was pumping and then <laughs> played the other one then sure sure you know yourself I could say everyone just lost their shit altogether. yeah it was mad that was, that was actually in the SFX do you remember that place? No, whereabouts was that? Oh, I think it was on the north side from what I can remember. 
But um, it was just a fucking warehouse, man. I tell you, health and safety, you wouldn't get near, you wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be allowed to store crates in it now at this stage. That's the truth. It was that fucking raw. It was literally just a big shade. And the sound in it now wouldn't have been great. Um, and a lot of big, massive tool played in that. Um, I remember the first time they played in Ireland, um, a brother-in-law of mine got tickets to it. was in the SFX. Really hard. If, if it was a man in the SFX, I think it was only two and a half thousand, three thousand, I think the most. Yeah. So it was usually someone like Tool to come. They were fairly obscure at the time when they came. It was before. It was just after the the DVD box set thing they had released. The Salival was that the name of it. Hmm. And, and it was just before Lateralis was released. So they played in the SFX. I think it was only two nights. So it was like fucking gold. Us trying to get your hands on tickets. I could imagine. It's very Irish, though, isn't it? It's, uh, it's like, oh, I'm going to see a rock band. Where are you going to see him? In a fucking shed. <laughs> In a fucking hay barn. That's what it is. <laughs> you, you wouldn't get it anywhere else, like. <laughs> you wouldn't get away with it nowadays, though. No, no. There's money to be made in health safety now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was fucking... Yeah, that's fine. I just remember that now, the SFX. Christ, that was some place. Um, remember seeing Pearl Jam in the old point? The old point wouldn't have been too bad. It was all right, mm. I um, yeah. best, I think the best venue in this country is Vicar Street. Really? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what we were saying with the SFX. It's, it's, it, I think it's 5,000 in Vicar Street. Maybe it's a little bit less. I don't know. But it's not. I think it's no more than about five. Mm. So it's the same sort of thing. If there's someone fairly tasty playing there, it's really hard to get your hands on. You have to be on the ball. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I've seen Tori Amos there now, and that was fucking, that was some experience. Like it was just basically her, one piano on one side. I think it was an organ on the other side. And that was it. Tables and chairs. People coming over, serving you drink. Fuck. <laughs> um, I was fucking the man. Well, that, that was a buzz. That, that was an experience. I'd say so. And she was absolutely. There's. Have you, you ever listened to Tori Amos? Yeah, yeah. There's a there, like stop child prodigy. Sure, you know what I mean. She's but um, yeah, seen her and seen her in um, the Olympia. I think it was last time she was here. So she was with a band that night. So it was a bit different. Here's one that'll throw you actually. What's mm-hmm. your uh? Your best concert experience that didn't involve the musician you were going to see? Yeah, um, I'd say probably right. Um, we went to see Saint Metamon, we went to see Steve Oyewan up in, in Vicar Street. Right. And two two things. The first guy he played before him was absolutely unbelievable. Eric Sardinez was his name. Never heard of him. I haven't heard of him since. What boy the fuck And could this fella shred guitar like no word of a lie? Absolute animal, like brilliant, brilliant performer, brilliant songs. He was that good. My mate that was with me went out for his album. Right? You know yourself when you be there and you see someone and they're going out. Yeah. Um and then the added little bonus was Billy Sheen. Do you ever hear of Billy Sheen? He's playing mm. Mr. B. Savage bass player. Like um, he was actually playing the bass company and Steve Woody that night. So that was another little bonus. Jesus. So yeah, Sardinez, he was he was tasty treats. Remember we went to see myself and Tobas went to see Slint one night up in the button factory there a few years ago. Did you ever you know the button factory in Dublin? Oh yeah, yeah, I've been there. Did you ever hear of Slint? Slink? Slint. 
No, no, I haven't actually. They're they're a mad obscure. Had one album, right? Spiderland is called. But they're just a weird obscure band, and they had this one album, and they just disappeared back in the nineties, and just started torn again. And Pub said to me, "Slender playing up in fucking in the Bottom Factory. You fancy coming up? Like check them out." We went up, and there was a young one playing. She's from Waterford. Katie came. Right. Knew me about? No, no, not at all. Mate, when we're finished this interview, go check out Katie Kim. I'll have to. A resident of the Waterford, and she's absolutely unbelievable. She was another. We went to see Slint and came across Katie Kim. <laughs> it's a nice little treat for you. Yeah, it's mad. Like you're, you're just saying, like you go to things, and maybe sometimes the it's the first act that catches you. Well, sure, we went to see Ozzy that night, sure, and and Zach basically played Black Label were the support group like yeah so we got the whole night as Zach Wild like it was fucking amazing <laughs> Ozzy Ozzy coming out and pulling his pants down oh Jesus Christ <laughs> just the firing buckets of water all over everyone just mental <laughs> that definitely must be up there that would have been a good night yeah that was actually a great gig yeah Zach Wild all night yeah I never actually looked at it that way I think uh, I think now is a perfect time to to hear your uh, your song, the middle. Hey, do you want to set it up and introduce it first? Not sure. This is a little ditty about a, a little experience in the middle of Amsterdam. Enjoy.
Right. That was a, I think that will go down very nicely with the listeners. Now that's a, that's a tasty song. Thanks very much. No problem. Come here, actually. Uh, we'll step away from concerts for a minute. I've heard a rumor that you, uh, you were roped in as a session singer. Would you like to share, shed a little light on that? A session singer? Yeah. Um, yeah. You heard on the underground, did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, um, that, that actually came from Harvey. Right. Um, Harvey gave me a call one night and said, all right, man, there's a, these guys in Dublin that I know that are wanting to um, basically they've they're at their seven up and getting a of recording time. They've recorded a demo, basically, of, I think it was four songs, and asked, did you want to go up and put down some vocals on them? And I was like, okay, um, what do you mean? Like, And he said, well, sure, just they want you to go up and just put singing on them. Like, they just want to kind of have them, like, they have the songs recorded and just want singing on them. And I was thinking, okay, that's a weird one. It's not like, you know, you get in a guitarist or you get in a drummer or, yeah. you know. Yeah, singing is kind of different because, especially, well, as I said to Harvey, I said, "Well, what's the crack? Have they got lyrics? Have they got ideas? What they want the songs are about?" And he was like, "No, no, I don't really think so." <laughs> and they just kind of, and they said, "We'll pay you for it." Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of like going, "Okay, now I'm interested." But um, <laughs> so yeah, I got in contact with them then, and um, they just said, "Yeah, do do your worst. Do what the fuck you want, man." So I did. Um, I think two of the tracks are actually on YouTube. Alienist is the, the name of the band. So that was it. Yeah, I just wrote lyrics. Went up to Dublin, hadn't met the lads. Um, the drummer had recorded all the drums and he went off, off on, on to find himself in India. <laughs> right. so, oh man, I know i with you. Um, so I went up on a Friday night uh, went over to one of the guys that the one of the lads gaffs had a few drinks you know got to know him a little bit mm. had chats and then sure I got up next morning went into the studio and just put the tracks down the lads set them off got mastered and got covers and all done the artwork and all and sent me down a couple of copies of jeez that's a it's not one you hear happening every day anyway <laughs> no no it was a it was a funny one though but uh, it was an enjoyable one I won't lie it was um enjoyable and a challenge at the same time do you know what I mean mm. obviously having never met these people before or whatever and they're giving me their music and kind of put my interpretation on what I thought their music was about and blah 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 do you know yourself yeah but they were they were into what I'd done like so that's the main thing job done everyone was happy it'd be a fairly big thing for a band as well wouldn't it to put their trust into a singer they've never met before really I think they just heard me sing on one track, which was a demo, which is, yeah, it was a demo of a track we have, um, Quarters and Night, which we we have a cracking demo of, but we're going to go into the studio, and that's one of the next ones we're going to do after we get the, the ones that are already down, out of the way. But yeah, they just basically heard me on that track, Harvey had played it for him, and they said, right, that's him would be interested in doing it. So yeah, it was, a good, it was a good experience, in fairness, and a little bit more studio time, and sure, working with different people, and, Exactly. It all uh, all helps you grow as a as a musician. Helps get your name out there as well. Yeah. So um moving on from the concerts now. If you could see any performer that's living or dead in concert, who would it be? It would have to be Bill Hicks with meeting. 
I'll give it to you. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard of Bill Hicks or you never heard of anyone wanting to go see Bill Hicks? No, I've never heard that answer before. Oh, I've, uh, I love Bill Hicks myself. Well, sure, look, at he's an artist, isn't he? Exactly, exactly. Thinking outside the box. Um, yeah, Bill Hicks just unreal, man. Absolutely. Even this, you could go back and listen to Bill Hicks now and just change some of the names and it's, he's on the fucking money every time. Man was a, a genius. Yeah, it was, it's not so much comedy, it's more irony. That's what I always took out. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it ironic? To <laughs> 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 go off on them tangents, you know. But yeah, probably be Bill Hicks now if I was going to. Uh, that'd be, uh, there was, I remember back in the day, I actually come, it's mad because you know yourself. Um, and that's another thing we're losing, actually, when we're talking about um, how music has changed. You used to be able to find things by finding things, if you get me. So, from in- for instance, from listening to Tool is how I came across Bill Hicks. Right. Um, on the inside cover of uh, an email, like, I had the picture of Bill Hicks and it was another another dead hero. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where I first, that's where he first came into my consciousness. Do you know what I mean? The man was deadly. Hmm. That was back, that was back in like mid nineties. Uh. So, you know what I mean? Or, or for instance, like, um, let me see King, King Crimson. I came across King Crimson because of Tula. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same with Gary Newman, Sever Toxic. I started going back and listening to Gary Newman's older stuff and earlier stuff through Nine Inch Nails. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He would have been a massive influence and which is funny because it was actually Ministry that got me to Nine Inch Nails. Like, <laughs> do you listen to Ministry? Absolutely savage, man. Not as much as I should. Um, there's a great uh, documentary, Fixed, it's called. All right. And it's uh, basically about them on tour. It, if it doesn't turn you off going on tour ever, this will. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a true representation of the road. Like It is wrong. Uncle Alan was rough. <laughs> but unbelievable music, like unbelievable band. But yeah, they're them kind of things where they lead you, people lead you to people. It's like um like my missus was, you know, in Tori Amos and I was winding her up, like, you know, she's just uh, a poor a poor man's cable. Sh- <laughs> right. Just a little thing, you know yourself when you be born. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> here's one for you then. Speaking of Bill Hicks. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't have died so young, if he was still with us today, what do you think he'd be like? Do you think he'd still be big or would he have faded away? I think, right, he would have been cancelled about 10 years ago. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the way things are now, oh my goodness. Imagine the things he would say about gender. Mm. Imagine the things that he would say about, like, oh... I couldn't imagine the things he'd be locked up for. <laughs> be like Lenny Brooks in the 60s. Yeah. Carolyn would be another another cracker now. He'd be another. I was just going to ask you, or well, I was just going to say you must be into Carolyn if you're into Hicks. Oh, yeah. George Carolyn is another legend. Mm. But even listen to some of the stuff he said, he said 10 years ago. Look at, it, look at the world now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What he said about education was probably the best, one of the best lines he ever had. He said they want to educate, educate you just enough so you can push the button, but you want stupid enough just so you don't have to ask any questions. So true that is nowadays. It actually is. That's what I love about him, though. It was just a couple of sentences. 
of pure genius, you know, and he got his point across perfectly and he'd actually make you think, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's like what's the, the Oscar Wilde trope that, uh, that Sany had there. Uh, some people have something to say and some people just have to say something. <laughs> he, he was one of them, you know, he could wrap it up in a, with a little bone top and in a quick little paragraph. Yeah, yeah. I imagine dinner with the two of them. Oh. <laughs> That'd be so incredible. I wonder who would be the most contentious. Yeah. <laughs> Old Carlin now or Carlin in his prime. Yeah, old Carlin got fairly narky, didn't he? He did. He did. <laughs> he did, in fairness. <laughs> Still, though, it's, uh, it's definitely a dinner I'd like to go to. Yeah, so definitely Hicks would be the man I'd definitely bring back from the dead. Just even for a day, just just to walk around and go, what do you think, Bill? Bill, what do you think of this? What do you think of this, Bill? He'd be looking at me going, I can't believe this would have fall back in. What is going on with you people? <laughs> Fucking Stockholm Syndrome. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Did you not see what they did in 2008? What are you doing? It's back to the, uh, the whole uh, Carlin thing, though. Educated enough to push the button, but stupid enough to not ask why. Yeah. Well, sure, look, man. You can go down the, the social media fucking rabbit hole here now if you really want to, but <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you're back to, well, let's just say, right? that public relations has a lot to fucking answer for. And when I say public relations, I say it in the sense of propaganda is what I call public relations, because that's basically what it is. Mm. It's just that it was it was, it was was made beautiful by fucking Eddie, Eddie Bernays, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, that's, and it, they basically put a dollar price on, as, as Hicks used to say, they put a dollar price on fucking everything on the planet. And... They've literally destroyed society. Yeah, um, and that's all I see in social media and social. Um, it's a fucking shit show, really. Especially with social media, I'm always saying, ever since I started the podcast, take Instagram for instance. Mm-hmm. When I started the podcast, started a page for the podcast on Instagram, I stopped logging into my own personal page as much, and eventually, after a couple of weeks. Like now I'd say it's what four, five months since I logged into my personal page on Instagram and I find myself way happier. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going on and you're looking at people and I don't know, they're just, they're not intending to, but they're impacting your mood and how you feel about yourself. You know, like social media isn't a good thing, really. Well, let's just say for toxic, you would take Twitter, for instance, right? Hmm. Right. So Darcy. And the like in Silicon Valley went and studied and same on Facebook, Zuckerberg as well. They went to, to uh, Vegas hmm. and studied basically the moods that people were getting from the near misses, the near hits, the anticipation. And what it was, what they basically learned was that basically on social media for toxic, when you get a like, you get a dopamine hit, like, and they reckon it's like almost 70%, right? The feeling you get from the line of cocaine. Really? So Dorsey and all these people have been, these people are like pure manipulation. Like, mm. And what they've done is they've basically got into people's heads and it's, everyone is rushing for the next like. Everyone is rushing for the, when you're getting your likes, when you're getting your retweets, when you're getting your, and I've seen it even with myself, even though I know all about it. Like, mm. 
you know what I mean? Especially, obviously, I'm on it with the band or whatever. Like, Yeah. So when people are giving you feedback and all, obviously, that's a good buzz. Like. It is, and it becomes addictive. And you can see how, how you get wrapped up in it. You get up, someone gets up to go up the toilet in the middle of the night, and the first thing to reach for is their phone. Before you know, you have people waking up out of their sleep to check their phone. So what would happen if, it, if we just took all our phones, if everybody took all their social media, took all their phones, right? We just basically just paint it off. I've been saying it for a long time. I'd actually love to see that, even for 24 hours, just to see what society would do. What would actually happen? Because like, every time, even when you're out now, you're in a restaurant. Well, when we used to be in restaurants or we used to be out, everyone's on their fucking phone. Like, yeah. You know, you see a family come in, sit down, they're having Sunday dinner or whatever in the restaurant, but five of them are on their phone, like mom yeah. and dad and the three kids. Like, Yeah, exactly. Not one of them are actually conversing with each other. That's it. Like, but it's even what, what, what I've seen happen. And I see it even with my own kids. Like, it's as if the fucking, they can't, they can only interact with each other through line, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. They, they can't yeah. actually face to face interactions like that's how we're supposed to be as you're saying you see things put up on twitter right and it can be read maybe two or three different ways like yeah the person that put it up it could be just sarcasm was safe or toxic someone reads it and they take offense from it. this is that's where social cues and facial expressions and you know that all comes into play like. yeah that was the next point i was going to make the uh the younger generation nowadays you know that are just getting into social media can you imagine when they get to their 20s, the social anxiety they will have and the, the lack of knowledge on how to act in a society or how to engage with people? For sure. So like what Elon Musk was saying about it, it's almost an extension to our, our being now. Like It's mm. almost a part of your fucking, it's there in, your, in everyone's hand all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, for the likes of myself and maybe yourself, you didn't grow up in the era where you can you can surely just remember payphone safe or toxic. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like whereas as you're saying, the generation that's coming through now, the woke generation, as we're going to call them, <laughs> they're do you know what I mean. Like God knows where we're going to be in twenty years' time. Yeah, it's a scary thought. Well, especially the way that the media is at the moment. Like sure. You don't know where the information, who's giving you the information, mainstream media, you don't believe what they're saying. Online, you don't know what's going on. So you don't know your arse from your elbow, you know, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't know who to trust, who to believe or what to believe. Yeah. It's all manipulation. And this is where we are. Like, and all, 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 the, all basically they've created right, is the short term dopamine driven feedback loops. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's literally all the fucking is like. Yeah. And people that's just take your phones and put them in the bin. <laughs> I mean, 20, 30 years ago they were able to have a perfectly up and running society without social media and smartphones. You know, it is possible. Well, they said that it was supposed to make us more connected. Do you think that really has happened? I'd say more disconnected. Yeah, would you think we're more disconnected? Oh, definitely. It's a uh, it's give the illusion of bringing us closer together, but pushed us further apart on a physical level. It gave everybody a voice. Like, yeah. Like for hundreds of thousands of years, we've evolved, right? We've lived in, in tribes of, you know, smaller groups 
we're not also I don't think the human species are supposed to be connected the way we're connected because there's just so many conflicting like it's it's like the old saying if you live where I live and you seen what I seen then you'd believe what I believe so mm. somebody in India can't really be connected with somebody in fucking I don't know Ireland will say we're toxic they can but the cultural differences there's language differences there's you know what I mean yeah. and then you're online as I said there's no social cues there's no you know what I mean facial yeah. expressions so things kind of get lost a little bit in translation as well and that creates craziness then online and then you have stuff like you know you have uh, basically anything that happens in the world becomes an, um, even if it's my microcosm it becomes a macrocosm online yeah whereas I've seen things say uh, on mainstream media that haven't really blown up as much but I've seen little things then that haven't blown up on mainstream media that have gone absolutely viral on on the internet like so as you're saying it's very confusing yeah yeah to uh I try to spin the music into it, into uh, into it. Then, what's your thoughts on the whole promotion and marketing online of a band nowadays? You know, when you have to do it yourself. Well, yeah. Well, that's the kicker. Like the kicker is when you're trying to play music, write music, and do other stuff and live your life, and then you're trying to find find time, basically, which is almost nearly like a full time job trying to promote your music. Um, in a in an ideal world. If you had a manager or someone that was doing all that, so you would be great, like for sure. But it, in general, the independent scene would surprise you. Quality of music is just up there as much as it is with mainstream music, like. And I have found, like, um, and I found some really good a good crew on Twitter, like where there's a lot of bands there that are independent bands that support each other and are always, you know what I mean. Mm, knocking yeah. people on the podcast or helping people out or whatever mm. getting their music out there um, creating playlists all that kind of stuff um, I'll just give a shout out actually to, to a couple of them like yeah work with this side of Anarchy Manny Grass um, Operation Neptune Spear Sound Ninja Saboteurs Ukrainian um, what's it be there Grunge Norris Demon Scar Honeybone Rush Fathead, Dreria, Dr. Sanderman, there's literally, and if I've forgotten anyone, there's loads of the lads out there that are cracking musicians, cracking bands. Um, I am Orpheus, One Eye to See, there's Unreal. And then there's radio stations then that are also independent labels online, like that are helping us out and playing all those bands that I was telling you about, giving them radio play, getting, getting basically getting the music to ears. So the likes of Rock on the Rise Radio or um, FSTC Radio Ali, I think it's a German radio station. Um, Midnight Fury on the Metal Grinder. She's an absolute gem. Big sporter of indie music, like always. She's, she has a show every Sunday night, midnight at the midnight hour, and then she has Midnight Metal Grinder once a month. But um, people like that, you know what I mean? That are literally out there just helping people out, starting pocket. But even like yourself, man. Yeah. Just just getting our music and getting getting stuff to ears, like. Yeah, exactly. If that's kind of where it all comes in good, the internet, that's the good side of it. You know what I mean? Whereas, as you were saying, the friction is the bad side of it. Yeah. Yeah, Charles. There's another one, Charles, at the, the Mind of Little Rage. That's a good metal podcast that we want to start checking out as well. There's loads of quality shows out there, quality music. It's just, as we were saying, 
you're a drop in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so much. Jeez, I had no idea though that there was uh, there was so much, as you said, stations and then communities of independent bands supporting each other. That's that's really great to hear now that there actually is, you know. And listen, the quality of the music and all is just as fucking good as mainstream metal. Yeah. Oh, I'd well believe it. Even on the show now, there's a couple of bands I've come across and I was, as soon as I listened to them, and yourselves included, I was asking myself, why aren't these like on a fucking world tour and being played on every radio station? You know, as you said, it is just as good as uh, as mainstream. Well, sure, it goes back to what we were saying about the technology. We're no longer on the, the Tascam full track, like, you know. Yeah. The technology has allowed us to be able to compete with, with you know, big fucking big studios and stuff. Uh, that's where it's uh, where technology is actually doing something good. Yeah. And helping. That's where it worked in our favor. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if there was one performer you could be locked in a room with for 24 hours, let's say a quarantine with, who would you pick? <laughs> uh, um. Probably, um, there are quite a few now. It right. I'd say probably fucking John Lydon, Johnny Rotten from Sex Really, Pistons. I have some stories to tell. <laughs> you can only imagine. So you seen him on? You seen him in the jungle that time with Jordan? Absolutely pure entertainment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So I said Lydon would have a few stories. Oh, definitely. Younger old Lydon now, though. We is now oh. exactly take him as he is now. He'd have more stories to tell. True, true. That would be an experience now. Who would you like to be locked in the room? Who would I like to be? Hmm. I feel like my answer changes from week to week. It always tends to go back to one or two, though. I'd like to spend a bit of time with Jim Morrison. Right. Just to, I'd know, I'd say. He'd be interesting to hang out with. He'd probably fucking try kill you. <laughs> Ask him about his dad. So anyway, the Gulf of Tonkin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, 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 was, what was actually going on there? <laughs> uh, For any of the listeners, go look into the, the Gulf of Tonkin and Jim Morrison's father's link to it. Mm-hmm. He's the admiral on the ship, I think I called it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how things like that link up. There's a lot of that. <laughs> Here's one for you, actually. We'll just go on a little small tangent. Um, You know, obviously, John Lennon and Mark David Chapman. Right, yeah. Have you heard this one about uh, where he worked when he was in Hawaii? Mark David Chapman? Yeah. No, go on. When he was staying in Hawaii, he worked for a company. Now, he worked in a hospital as well, but before that, he worked in a company. And the owner of the company was, um, I can't remember your man's name, but you know your man that tried to kill Reagan because he was in love with Jodie Foster? Oh, yes, the connection was, there. Yeah, it was his father owned the company that Chapman worked for. It's a weird link. Yeah. Wasn't there a weird link with Bush, one of the Bushes in that assassination as well? Yeah, yeah, and a link between the uh, the Bushes and the JFK assassination. Oh, yes. There's many links in that one, Boo. 
Oh yeah, we could be here for weeks talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> I've even stopped looking. Did you ever see the new oh new JFK evidence? What's, what's the point, lads? Yeah. Sure, even like down to Jack Ruby killing killing Oswald and all like come on, like what the fuck? Yeah. Exactly. It's fucking it, it didn't feel like there's shady shit going on there now. <laughs> Yeah, like who can walk into it? Have you ever heard of the link then? Sorry for interrupting you, but you ever heard of the link then between, um, I think it's Jack Ruby, the psychiatrist that treated him when he was brought in for arrest, I think it was, and and Charles Manson? I'm not sure now, but did it have something to do with uh, Charles Manson and MKUltra? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. That was that dude. I can't remember. I can't remember your man's name. He wrote the book. Um, and he basically he took him twenty years to write it. He just kept uncovering stuff. Can't remember the name of the book. And he was actually on Joe Rogan. It wasn't chaos, was it? I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I remember the episode on Rogan, and I remember that that link it was something to do with the shrink. Asher Lucas. It's fun, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> It's mad though. I can become fucking obsessive though. I'm like, there's been many stages in my life where I got into like the JFK assassination and ended up like searching for every book I could fucking find to read on it. And then just something else would pop up and I'd, you know, you'd need, you'd be wanting to find out all the different links. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And yeah. when, when it starts to look like everything is fucking linked to each other. Yeah. You know, but you just go follow the money, man. Yeah, yeah, Just exactly. follow the money, that's all you have to do. Follow the money and the families. Mm. It's usually the same families that are linked to everything anyway, because they own most of the world anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Seriously, you could be, you could fucking talk for weeks on stuff like that. You could actually start a whole different podcast on stuff like that. I know there's many out there already. But even if you go back to say you started even in Ireland, like and carry on that's that have been going on here for the last fucking twenty years, even. Yeah. You know, you can pull out fucking a fair few little nuggets. Even look oh, what yeah. happened with Lama and the, the shenanigans going on there, like. Hmm. Um, you could go on obviously with what happened in two thousand and eight. Um, there's some the serious corruption in this country, like as you know. Oh yeah, definitely, but. I always think of Ireland not being, uh, when it comes to corruption, that they're not quite as slick as the Americans are at covering it up. Um, it's kind of, it's a weird one. It's like Father Ted version of fucking politics here. Like, you, know, I mean, like, uh, you hit the nail on the head. They say, Asher, look at everything is going to be fucking grand, lads. And yeah. everyone just goes, all right then. It's like, it's like, all right then, Father. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Whereas in America, yeah, they, they're slick and they're cute and they're trying to bury it, but it all they, usually it comes out in the fucking end, like Enron, <laughs> fucking, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Pro, yeah. Pro Health Health Core, or whatever the fuck it was called in the MK Ultra. Um, do you know what I mean? There's loads of stuff that comes out eventually. But. Yeah. So, but yeah, the Irish, the Irish um, attitude to it is pretty classic. Yeah, it's almost like, look, what did you expect, lads? That's it, like. Sure, sure. Look at lads, everything is going to be alright. <laughs> Grand, don't worry about it. Yeah. Oh, the joys of living in Ireland. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we're 
we no longer the government don't run us anymore now and effort do so mm. unless how it seems anyway <laughs> yeah yeah so uh one of the final questions i usually ask is uh a song that would appear on the soundtrack to your life if you could narrow it down yeah it'd probably be i'm sure sam sam was saying so many so many songs you could pull mm. but um i thought about this one now right and it's like yourself it changed my mind a couple of times mm. but i would probably say right as in favorite song is probably nine inch nails burn right right but to go out on a song, it would probably be Fleetwood Mac, the Albatross. Right. Interesting choice. Just for the, the vibe. Yeah. That's a good and one. a very going out kind of vibe to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll probably be that one. And it was my wedding song, so. <laughs> Keep the wife happy. The with me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I know it's hard to say, and we've kind of touched on it already, but. What's next on the cards for Agency Panic? Well, I got great news that the studio is open, opening back up. So the next, the next plans for studio or for Agency Panic is to get into the studio, get vocals laid, get the next track mixed, get it mastered, and get it out. Oh, brilliant! brilliant. Maybe get a video done for it then. So that's pretty much where we're at at the minute. We've got two tracks in there already, pretty much ready to rock. Just have to be mixed and get some vocals down on them. So we're not a million miles away from getting. Perfect. That's great to hear. That'll be uh, sooner than a lot of people thought. Well, hopefully, yeah. Although mm. probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. You'd make a great politician. Me <laughs> Hall taught me well. <laughs> so at the end, I'm going to get you to tell us a bit about the song we're going to hear and introduce it but before we get to that is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with don't forget to panic your sense of self agency it's a very good one thanks very much (laughs) 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 and now the uh the song that's going to play us out tonight it's actually my personal favorite but uh do you want to tell us a bit about it this song is exactly about what i just said about learning to basically panic your sense of self-agency so enjoy panic perfect thanks a million for coming on the show it was a, a real pleasure appreciate it it's an honor to come on thanks very much
Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.